Wow. Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, I am so excited. This gentleman we're about to have on and talk to is somebody I consider a mentor, somebody that I've looked up to, I followed. He's an amazing person. I mean, he's a father, which I appreciate most of anything. He's a father. He's a husband. He's got three beautiful children. Um, he's a hot podcast host, radio host, three times, three times, three times, Mr. Universe. He is the Swiss Army Nice of health and wellness. My brother, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? Well, I got to tell you, uh, I feel like I don't have enough energy for my podcast the way you started out. I mean, my God. From the beginning until now, and then I've never been called a Swiss Army knife. That's it's fascinating. Oh, and actually, it's probably actually it's it's probably a very good definition if you think yeah. about it with all the things I've got going on. Because you got everything going on. You're everywhere. You were just on the cover of Shift magazine, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. Um, but I, I do have a traumatic brain injury, so I'm going to ask this question, or else I will forget. What is your definition of resiliency? Resiliency is no matter how many times you get knocked down, you find a way to keep getting up. You find something inside yourself that allows you to keep getting up. And a lot of times I find that it's when you believe and you have, you're passionate about what you're doing. It makes it very easy to want to get back up and continue to tell those stories or continue to do what you do. Um, I'm very, I very much wear my heart on my sleeve. And it's not difficult. Uh, when I choose to get involved with something, I have to feel it. Not, it doesn't have to just be numbers, which a smart person looks at the numbers. And I probably should be smarter than I am looking at those numbers. And I do look at them, but I go by what I feel. And if I feel there's a connection and I can see something that makes sense, then it's not that hard to pick something. And then you know you're going to get knocked out a bunch of times. But you believe in it so much, you keep getting up and you keep getting up. It's kind of like like Rocky in a way. You're an underdog. You just keep getting up, and you don't worry about anything other than the fact is I got to keep getting up. And you know, and I love that. But now, if everybody would see, you know, the Brett of today, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. You didn't just grow up and have this beautiful life. You had some ups and downs, and ebbs and flows. So tell about where'd you come from, where'd you grow up, and how did you become the force that you are today. Well, uh, I grew up in Chula Vista. Uh, it's, it's a city in San Diego, second biggest city in San Diego. And uh, it was a great foundation because uh, I grew up, everybody, it's, it's a, it was a rare time compared to now because kids of today won't experience this very much. Uh, I went through elementary school, middle school, they used to call it junior high school, now it's called middle school, and high school. So all of those kids, started together in elementary school and we finished in high school. Wow. And, and then there was another, it was more to the other question. What was, what was you said? Well, you know, where did you grow up? Um, how did you grow up? Because a lot of us, you know, you, we see, you know, being a Mr. You know, three time Mr. You know, natural Mr. Universe. Were you great in sports? And how, how was the home life? So I would say, um, the home life was a good structure because my mom and dad were very disciplined. And then the neighborhood I grew in, like I said, we started and worked our way all the way to high school and played sports together. And so uh, we always kept each other, all of us kept each other 
uh, focused on whether we're doing good or bad. So there was a discipline that we all uh, had uh, in growing up in my household, but also the kids in the neighborhood. His parents were the same way. We all knew, all the parents knew what was going on in the neighborhoods and they were the grapevine for everything that went on and kept an eye on us. And in high school, I think a lot of that transpired into uh, team sports, discipline. And so people brought out the best in each other with, with that combination. So, you know, I, I remember, I can remember the first time I actually seen a bodybuilding magazine and it was cover. It was a muscle mag from Mr. Kennedy, which I, I, I still miss to this day. Bob Kennedy? And it was, uh, yeah, Mr. Rob Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh-huh. amazing individual. God bless his soul. Uh, but, I seen Arnold and I was hooked. I was hooked, line and sinker. And my mother was a nurse. So instead of me reading regular books, I would read anatomy, physiology and stuff like that. So can you remember back then the first time you ever seen what a bodybuilder looked like? So here's the thing. We're going to go back to sports. Um, Sports in in our time in the 80s, they didn't want us using weights. A lot of the coaches believe you would become muscle bound. It would affect your, your performance. We were, um, we had to sneak. So I was at, at, when I got into high school, see, I started lifting weights when I was in sixth grade. And uncle bought me a, 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 a dumbbell set. And I started with that. So I never stopped using the weights. And when we got into high school for them to say, don't use them at that point, it was really ready too late. So uh, I would sneak and do my workouts uh, after practice. Uh, did I ever dream of being Mr. Universe? Absolutely. I saw, for me, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a big, uh, and still is a big um, mentor for a lot of reasons, because he's not just your typical bodybuilder. He's what you would call a renaissance man. Yeah. Something you don't hear very much of. Um, a lot of individuals don't realize that he was already a millionaire in real estate before he could even speak um, fluid link English. He had already bought a duplex by the time he got here. He was already looking at real estate uh, and going to college and um, investing in, you know, making the right deals. I mean, he was going to college, working, working out. And then a guy named Steve Reeves, uh, who was somebody that I saw in the movies when I, that was really the first person I had ever seen and that looked like that. And he looked like a comic book in real life. I mean, I saw that, that first picture of Reeves, uh, and, and my father was watching a Hercules movie and, it, and actually another movie was called the thief of Baghdad. Yeah. And, uh, I'll tell you, uh, I don't believe in coincidence. So, uh, I learned everything I could about Steve Reeves and I learned everything I could about Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, uh, I also followed what, uh, Franco Colombo did. I think I took from the greats and also, of course, uh, years later, of course, I had the opportunity to get some workout programs uh, and work uh, in a short, short period of time. I learned a lot from um, Michael Hearn, who is somebody that, um, you know, in my mind was the complete athlete because he was in martial arts. He was a power lifter and he was a mystery, mystery universe. And, you know, for me, and then there was one more person that made a huge difference. Um, Robbie Robinson. Oh my God. The black, the Prince, the black the prince. prince. And so, yeah. um, I got to tell you, the weirdest thing is when you, and you know this, when you idolize uh, people in finance or, or fitness or anything that really uh, resonates with you, when you get a chance to finally meet those people, 
It's very surreal. And I've had the blessings. Imagine I'm working out one day at the gym, training some people at this point. I'm ready. You know, this is from elementary school watching FIFA Baghdad. And then years later, I'm training people at the gym and making a huge impact with what I'm learning through all the magazines. Like, you know, Bob, Robert, Bob, Bob, um, Robert, what was his name? Last name? Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy, Joe Weider, those people yeah. like that. And uh, making a huge difference. Uh, and so then the one day get a phone call from Steve Reeves on the phone. And then somebody coming up to me and when I'm training somebody and says, hey, Steve Reeves on the phone. He wants to talk to you. It was just like, why does he want to talk to me? So I've had those surreal experiences in life where, you know, you don't get to you, you, you have heroes. But then to have them call you and you've never met them, it's just um, it just uh, it's, it's an honor and just crazy the way life works out. And, you know, like for me, I, I've always had, I always liked for you, I like you, I always liked the cerebral bodybuilders. You know, I always liked, you know, Mr. The teaching of Mr. Ray Menser, you know, I, and I always liked Dorian Yates, his, his, his thought process. Frank Zane was always, a, you know, a person that he was, a, 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 they were above and beyond. They weren't just thinking with their body. They thought with their mind also. So now, you know, let me ask you a question, you know, cause I had, a, you know, I've had Franco come on. I've had a bunch of other pro bodybuilders come on. And what made you not go to the dark side and start using anabolics? And what, you know, what made you want to stay clear and just try to keep as natural as possible? Well, first of all, I got to tell you, I did use anabolics when I was 25 years old for a short span. And my doctor prescribed them. At that point, they weren't as illegal as they were uh, now, like they are now. And it was under a doctor's supervision. Uh, I used them for maybe six months. And for me, it didn't really work. Um, all I got was a bunch of acne on my back and on my face. And I really didn't like it because I was, it was a long story. Um, I was doing uh, body doubles and trying out for bit parts in movies. And so when I'd go to try out and I'd have to take my shirt off, People would, you know, it was embarrassing to have that acne. So I'm like, this is horrible. So I decided to go back natural. Now, let me explain this to you, too. Um, at night, 18 years old, I was already bench pressing 450 pounds for two reps. Naturally. Does that, that's not a natural thing. It's just no, not, not at all. It's a very abnormal. My father was very, was very, had a very natural strength. He was a lumberjack in the old days. So I think I inherited a lot of that strength, but I didn't need, uh, the drugs for me didn't do anything. I did try them for a short time, but for me, it didn't work. So I took a, I just got off of it and went back natural and I felt better too, mentally. So I did try for a very short time in my career. So, but... Now I've had, I just had Clark Bartram on last, last month we were talking and he said the reason why he tries to stay in shape because he always wanted to be magazine ready. Cause a well, lot of times. Yeah, he always has been magazine ready, and it's another class act. Um, somebody that I've admired for years, and uh, he's a great family man and a great Christian. Does a lot of wonderful things. Um, absolutely, he's always camera ready. I wish I could say that. I'm usually camera ready or I'm pasta ready. <laughs> I, I love, love it. I love, I love food, man. Oh, I, me too. I'm with you. And, you know, you know I've, I've had a lot of, like I said, pro bodybuilders come on, pro athletes, and a lot of people don't realize that because I, I competed once or twice and got my ass whipped. But uh, people don't realize that when a bodybuilder is on that stage, they're at their weakest point 
because they got no fluids, they got no fat, and you know a lot of them have passed away because of other things. But you know, you did it not once, not twice, not three times. What kept you going after the first win? Well, first of all, I realized that those competitions were with people that were in my age group. So it's different than being 20 years old and having, you know, it's a different situation. I'll be honest. Most people, as they get older, don't take care of themselves. Uh, I've been blessed to have a good set of genes and my body's still for, for almost 60 years old. It's still, you know, a pretty active. I don't have any really major um, injuries of any kind. I've been blessed with that. How I don't know, because I played football for a period of time and hit a lot of crazy people with my head and, Got hit the knees a few times. I've never, I've been blessed to never have any major injuries, but I'll tell you this. Um, the one thing that has changed is uh, my body needs more rest. I need naps more now because uh, my body and my mind are doing so much more now than ever uh, for me. Now I know other people that can, you know, you know, sleep four or five hours and they're great. But for me, I'm finding that um, I need at least six, six, seven hours and then maybe a nap during the day for, you know, an hour, I'll give you an example. I took a five-hour nap yesterday on a Sunday. I never take naps. I've been taking more of them because I think my body's saying, hey, you need to slow down. You need to take a break because your body isn't just affected by um, physical activity. It's also affected by all the stuff that's coming in mentally that you're taking in and absorbing for, you know, like podcasts and for publications and for events. And, and then you got to juggle family and kids. And so um, you have a lot more coming in at you psychologically. And I think in some way that affects you physically and mentally where you need more rest. All right. Now, because I just came to my mind because I've, I've been a big, I was a big San Diego, a big chargers fan. I'm sorry. Growing up, but <laughs> junior say, yeah, junior's a great guy. I, I actually used to come, junior used to come to my gym. Junior. Junior used to go to my gym. You know, He'd stop by and work out sometimes when he was alive. And when, and when he took his life, that really pushed me to want to help more people because I was watching a documentary and his daughter said, if only we would have known, we possibly could have saved him. And that's why I was like, I, I think some people did know, but I think people of that caliber, when they're that um, famous, they're not used to people telling them things they don't want to hear. Usually like even Elvis Presley uh, people saw that there, that he was headed for a, you know for a wall, but because he was the king of rock and roll, they you know let him do what he wanted, and he got away with a lot of things that the average person wouldn't get get away with. I think most people in that position, um, it's very hard to find real friends. They're not afraid to tell them really what they think. So, how did you go from you know being you know the fitness industry and then getting into podcasting, the radio show? How did that all come about? Were you doing it at the same time or was it after? So um, because of the fitness stuff, I had I had some some success with clients. And uh, before I even won the Mr. Universe, I was training, you know, very high end athletes and even uh, even military worked with the SEALs for a short period of time. I was contracted by them, uh, worked with some Marines, worked with police officers around the country, Border Patrol. Uh, I started getting that type of group of individuals that um, were coming to me. And uh, I love working with people that have a, a, a mindset and a goal. Uh, and even CEOs have that same mindset. They find ways to put that game face on and overcome obstacles. But what happened was with me, 
because these people came to me, then one day I got a call from ESPN. My name kept coming up and ESPN called me uh, on the radio and wanted to know if I talk about, you know, some of this stuff that I did with some of these athletes. So I went on uh, at the time and uh, was myself. And at the time I was a little bit more uh, brat. Uh, well, I said some cuss words probably on the radio. I shouldn't have said, and they, they weren't really happy about that, but uh, everybody was laughing and they thought it was funny. I won't tell you what we talked about. But uh, the guy afterwards, producer, was red in the face. He was screaming at me and my wife. And then he said, you know, actually, you're, have, you're actually very funny. Have you ever thought about having your own radio show? And I says, no, I never thought about it. So that's how it started. And then we, we, ended up, we ended up taking, deciding to do that show. And uh, we never wanted to talk about just sports. We wanted to talk about the everyday hero and the underdog overcoming the obstacle, which ESPN didn't believe in. But I always believe that story works. Everybody loves a good David and Goliath story. And uh, that show, before the, by the end of the year, was number one in Southern California. We had the number one rated show for ESPN. And you also have a heart of service. Um, I just, uh, you had my friend Eric Ranks on from uh, Salute 22 Vodka. Coming out with a brand new bourbon. If you guys love, love bourbon, Salute 22 is coming out with a brand new bourbon. Um, so where did you get your love for first responders, veterans. Where did that come from? Did that come from somewhere in the family? Yeah. So both my grandfathers were, uh, my grand, my, my grandfather, my, first of all, my, my great grandfather was a chief of police in Iowa. So that's the first, that's the first thing that was there. There was already a law enforcement kind of a blood connection there. I have a brother-in-law who's, um, an active sheriff. I have, um, my great, my, my other grandfather, my step-grandfather was a officer. He was a pilot in the Navy who made a huge impact in my life. And he was the reason I found my love for books. He was the guy that had the library and the, he was the only guy in the house in the family that had a house where, you, where you'd go into this library. It, it is one room of all these different books. And so when I would go to his house, I would find all these different topics. So my love for books and, and learning came from him. And then my, my, other grandfather was a chief petty officer in the Navy. He was in World War II and um, survived uh, in, a, in a situation where um, the plane, I think, was hit with a torpedo and all his friends were eaten by sharks. Majority of them were killed in front of him. So he was never the same. He ended up dying um, at the age of 42 years old, I think, of a heart attack. He was never the same after that incident. And I only remember him vaguely because I only met him a few times. But um, those stories and um, just knowing, how could you not relate to that? How could you not want to honor people that are selfless like that, that do, all, do those jobs with not making big paychecks, but they do it because it's the right thing and the freedoms that we have in this country are because of those things. And, and all those BS about defunding the police, uh, I understand there's there's an anger in the country about that, but I have to say this, and I'm not getting political. Just remember that we need to keep a law and order in this country because everybody at one time will need to call in law enforcement for something. So you may be against uh, the police or you may have a problem with them, but remember that when, when something happens and a law is broken, the first person you're going to want to call is the police. But if there's nobody there to answer your call, what are you going to do? 
And I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm all for defunding the criminals, but but we're not going to go there. Uh, but <laughs> well, I just I, I have it's very basic stuff. We have law the, the freedoms we do. Yeah, and we're able and we don't have laws in order that are enforced. We're, we're going to be like a third world country. Yeah. Now, for me, um, I grew up in an abused household. Um, I'm a ninth grade dropout. But the only way my solace was reading. And I currently have 15 books going at one time. I've read over 6,000 books just because wow. I'm, I'm addicted. I just I'm, I just love knowledge because I, I, I dropped out without finishing eighth grade. I didn't even finish. So but you never, me, finished? You never finished. No, never. No. So you don't even nope. have a, you don't have a diploma. Uh, nope. Wow. But thank God. And I give him all the glory that I'm still able to do what I do what I do now. And talk to people like you and be able to hold a conversation when I shouldn't even be able to. No, I think it, I think it's amazing when um, we hear more. And, and, and I talked to the, to my partner, Larry, we talked about this a lot. Um, there's a lot of respect for people to get education. But uh, not everybody needs to go to college. And um, maybe you're going to be a doctor or an or accountant, CPA or an attorney, some specialized area like that. But um, a lot of the very successful people that I've had in my life that have mentored me never um never finished college you're the first one i met that never finished uh was it eighth grade was it eighth grade yeah i i was yeah because i was a uh i i had my first drink at 12 and i was a football and alcoholic by age of 13 oh my god so i so i got thrown out and then joined the military well that that's a whole different story yeah, that's what but, that, that itself might be a pie, another podcast, but um, yeah, that's, 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 that's fascinating. Whole, well, I'm the only guy that's probably ever been thrown out of the military, got back in, and almost got thrown out again until 9 11 changed my life. Well, we could talk about that some other time. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, I believe that readers are leaders, you know. So I believe, you know, that knowledge never stops, learning never stops. And the more CEOs that I've had on, like Mr. Meltzer, like yourself, you know, you're well read and you, you keep up on things. Oh, you so, have no you have no idea how many books I have. My wife has threatened to leave me many times because of the books. She's like, it's either me or the books. So I, get now, it. I totally get I it. love I love your podcast, by the way. I love your podcast. I love it. I love it. I love it. But first, I, I want to before I even forget. I want to thank Robert Garcia, the warrior strategist. Without him, we wouldn't be talking today. Right. You were just on the cover of Shift magazine. Thank you. And it was yes. an amazing article. The cover was beautiful. You look amazing. Whoever they did the cover looked awesome. And the article was even better than the cover. Well, I got to give credit to my wife who did the cover. She did a lot of um, filtering and a lot of the wrinkles. And then Robert, of course. Uh, now, how did that go down, Sarah? I got Sarah here right now. Robert and his crew, and then Sarah took the photo and got all the wrinkles off my face because she's like one of those old wrinkled dogs that are bald. Well, kind of Sharpay. Sharpay. She said I looked like a Sharpay with uh, with traps. So she uh, she helped with that. But Robert has been uh, a lifeline, and uh, we had a meeting today even, and we strategized. He's a big part of, um, you know, there's some key uh, components of why IQ Podcast, I can't get any talk, IQ Podcast is around. But um, originally, when I when we started doing this, um, Robert was has been there from the very beginning, and he's still here, and he's, we're still strategizing on all the big things and great things that we're planning.
together. But I'll, I'll tell you this, and you understand this. Um, we're not, we're, we're not, we're a team. We look for people to work with. We look for people that have expertise in areas that we don't. And by doing that, I think everybody's um, lifts up in a positive way. And we're all become successful because we all have skill sets that maybe another one's missing, but uh, I don't mind sharing and giving a piece of the pie is something if it makes something uh, a greater um, entity in itself. I think that's one of the reasons we've been successful because uh, it's not just me. It's not just my wife, Sarah, which I got to say it, it, a lot of it is her, but a lot of it is because of the, um, of the people we are affiliating with. That's and, one you know, and I guess, like they say, you know, you're, you are the average of the five people that you associate with the most. So you're obviously you're doing something right. Well, I have people that, that disagree with me, which those are real friends and they don't have any problem telling me what they think, which I love. I love to argue a little bit too, once in a while too, but um, because I, I'm circling things and really thinking, is this really, is this really the right Avenue, the right direction to go? And, you know, maybe they do have a point. And so uh, one thing I can tell you as I've gotten older, um, even though I am an ideas guy, because I have great visions for things, but um, I'm a little slower on executing things. I'm not as quick as I used to be because I have to make sure that, you know, it's going to fit, it's going to fly, you know, we're working on things ready for next year because we want to make sure that, you know, they're going to work before I, you know, give myself two, three months to do something. But now I realize it takes at least, you know, you know, 10 months to a year. So, you know, I've been like, I think I just celebrated three years of doing the podcast. I'm still a baby. I still consider myself a baby after all the episodes. Um, so how was it going from radio to doing podcasts? Cause it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a totally different beast. I may be wrong, but talk to us about that. So we've had this discussion recently a lot because, um, you know, I've loved being with Salem media. They've been a really good partner for us. Um, originally when we got into podcasting, um, a guy named Rogan mentioned my radio show, Mr. Joe, I didn't know, I didn't know who Rogan was. And so we got these emails and I'm like, I thought it was a joke. And then we emailed, I didn't know who Rogan was. This was like about three years ago, five years ago. How long ago? No, it wasn't that long ago. Rogan wasn't doing podcast eight years ago. How long has Rogan been doing podcast? Probably about maybe six. Cause he was still doing stand up UFC. So probably maybe five or six years ago. So we, we took that idea to them and they didn't like the idea. So I asked, could we do it? They said, sure, you can stay on radio. Um, at that point, I was just going based on the numbers that I'd saw that I had seen that Rogan had, had no idea how to do a podcast. And so when I went to my wife, she looked at me like I was harebrained, like most of the things that I tell her. And I said, we're going to do a podcast. And she says, what's a podcast? I says, I don't know, but look at the numbers. Let's figure out how to do it. So um, she's the genius. She figured it out. Um, I brought it to her. She looked at it. And because of that, we were able to um, start the podcast. And I got to tell you, I couldn't have picked a better city because Coronado in San Diego, I don't know if you had the opportunity to be to Coronado. It's been a phenomenal community partner in so many ways. And it's been like family here that I've never had for my partner, a co-partner here with us, uh, Larry Delrose and his beautiful family um, to the community of Coronado from Richard Bailey, who originally who's our mayor here, who just recently did uh, Boston Marathon. And a couple of days after that, 
uh, went up to uh, what's that mountain that he went up, you guys? Mount Everest. Can you imagine doing the Boston Marathon and then two days later going to hike the uh, Mount Everest? So that's our that's our mayor in Coronado. That's that shows you what Coronado's community is about. And then we have one of the biggest talent shows in San Diego County put on by Larry Delrose and Alan Kinzel, who's just a phenomenal uh, community people as well. So we've been we've been blessed to be in Coronado doing our podcast. And isn't it cool to be in a military town and have our office be one of the oldest buildings, one of the first firehouses in Coronado in the 1890s? That's so there's, really a lot of, there's a lot of good good uh, first responder history uh, involved with this podcast. I think there's a lot of reasons why we've been successful is because we're doing all the right things, trying to tell those types of stories that are really important. And, you know, one thing, especially being in that, that area, you know, Navy SEALs, you know, very area, you know, popular base. But I've had, you know, a bunch of Navy SEAL commanders on Navy SEALs. And like when I had one of my friends, he came on, his name is um, John McCaskill, wrote the, wrote the book um, Embrace the Suck. And I said, bro, you look more like my accountant than the guy <laughs> that I would see, than I would see in the movies of a Navy SEAL. And, you know, even like him and his partner, they, they, they were a SEAL team together. They say, you know, I like the veteran, the Navy SEALs because it's all about team. Right. And for me, I, 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 I believe that the only way I can succeed in life is for my team. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm guessing when you talk to Marcus Luttrell, I'm sure that he sparked that whole, I'm sure that was an amazing, just to be able to talk to him offline was probably even better than talking off online. You're absolutely right because there's things we, for protection of the government, that we couldn't talk about and out of respect for the government. Yeah. So uh, also the team sports that I grew up with in my neighborhood, baseball, football, um, we had track, but, you know, baseball and football were my main sports and bodybuilding. I like fitness. But uh, what I really, really – zeroed in on the team concept was when I had that opportunity and contracted with the seals for about a year. And I saw how they worked, how they worked as a team in a unit. And I saw how effective they were. And so uh, I believe that business is the same concept. Everybody's uh, got a specialty. One person might be better at being an assassin. One people, person might be better at being a CPA, but you let people do their jobs in those areas and you get out of the way and together you make a really strong nucleus. And, you know, one thing I love about your show, one day it could be having Sharon Brunoak on, another day it could be having Marcus Luttrell, Eric Ranks. It's always different, but it always has the same theme. You know, it's success. Right. But, you know, and I, the, the, the main about this show is, you know, talking about resilience in life and in business because a lot of people don't know veterans and CEOs have a very high rate of suicide. And there's a reason why they deal with depression at a high rate. So, you know, we all are struggling with something. So I didn't know about, yeah, I didn't know about the CEO uh, thing. I had never heard about that. I've heard, I've heard other occupations, but I didn't know about CEOs. Interesting. It, it's because on a lot of them, once they get to a certain rank, there's nobody to talk to. They're it. And they don't really have anybody to vent to. Once you're the king of the hill, they really don't have anybody to vent to. Now, all of a sudden, they're looking down at the bottle or, or the pills. And, you know, that's when it takes a big downfall. That's why a lot of people 
lose businesses. So I Meltzer almost lost his business if his wife didn't tell him, listen, you stop going to the Grammys. You need to start paying attention to me at home or else he, he wouldn't have the business that he has today. So I want to ask you a question because the people that are listening to this are veterans or entrepreneurs or vetpreneurs. Why do people that, I mean, you've interviewed amazing guests. What makes people succeed or what makes people fail? Fear of failure. I asked, I asked somebody that one question one time, a uh, very, very successful gentleman in the grocery industry. And I says, why do you succeed? What keeps you from falling? He says, to be honest, I'm afraid to fail. Because if I fail, I, I, failure is no option. His fear was failing, and that's why he succeeded. And that's one option. Um, when I do something, I don't look at it as uh, short term. I look at it long term. And I'm kind of psychotic in a way because I like a long fight. I mean, I'd like to get a quick fight and get it over with, but uh, I already go into, into a fight anticipating it's going to be a long fight. And I feel if I prepare myself for every challenge that could happen, then eventually I'll get it out of the way and just keep moving eventually until I wear out whatever I'm doing. I have sustaining power in my mind. I don't go on planning on winning right off the bat. I, I used to do that. And then I used to get upset when I didn't do it. But then I found that uh, if I'm going to do something, I need to be in for the long haul and not anticipating winning right off the bat. I mean, it's nice to win if you can do that. But in my mind, there's always that chance I'm going to fail three, four times. And we were talking the other day, we had a, in church, we were talking about baseball as an analogy and how a batting average, if you look at the percentage of three at a 10 at bats, if you consider three hits at a success, that's 300 is considered a success in baseball. And that if we use our lives that way, we would be, be being phenomenally probably better than 300 over, over, over that percentage, you know? Okay, so I don't so know. Really, Cause you, you really touch my heart um, because I love the way that you talk about your bride. I love, I call my bride, my wife, my bride, we've been married 12 years. She'll always be my bride. Mm -hmm. I love the way that you're a family. You put for and, uh, the way I see it. I may be wrong, but no, you're I absolutely right. That, that I'll be honest. That's the other thing. And you know, this too, the difference between what I did in business when I was younger compared to business now is that um, I was married before had a great daughter was a lot younger, made a lot of stupid hairbrain mistakes. And not to say that I still don't once in a while, I try not to make as many because it's harder to get up when you're older, but uh, I have somebody that I run ideas by, which is my wife, and I talk about everything uh, first. And then uh, I'll run it by probably somebody like a friend of mine, like Larry or somebody else. But, but there's usually some people that I'm really close to that have a lot of respect and trust in, and they know they have the ability to really look through all the BS. So uh, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you know, here's, a, here's another thing. Uh, I actually talk to my kids about stuff. My daughters, all of them. And my, all my daughters are very bright. They're all leaders. And so I talk to them about things and get their input. Because a lot of times we think because somebody's younger that they don't have wisdom or insight. And I don't agree with that. That's like saying somebody's too old to learn from. I think there's there's kids that have a lot of a lot more clarity than we do, than we give them credit for. But my daughters are pretty sharp. And so I run things by them. A lot of times I'll tell you, 
um, they've been accurate about a lot of things. And I got I got a 20 year old boy, I got an 18 year old boy, and I got an 11 year old girl, and they're way smarter than me. They got their mother's brains, so I'm blessed right. with that. But you know, I found that a lot of males that have failed in business is because they never had that hard conversation at the kitchen table with their with their significant other, and because I know without my bride. My life doesn't run. My business doesn't run. If she knows something is off, it's off 99% of the time. But I find that people start a business and then when the crap hits the fan, that's when they go to the kitchen table. And right. by that point, you got to explain way more than you would have viewed and said, honey, I'm looking at starting stuff. Is, can you help me? Can I have your blessing? You're absolutely right. And then, the, you know, it's really crazy because I was – I was thinking about our, our podcast today and what we were going to talk about. One thing that came to my mind is uh, there was a period of time where I, I owned three gyms that were very successful in the San Diego area. And I was looking back on what I could take from those experiences and what I would do differently today. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things in, that most businesses fail is, uh, first of all, they're underfinanced. They don't have enough funding to sustain them over a period of time with the hard knocks. And if, usually if you come out with a budget, I find that, and uh, I have somebody here that can agree with me or disagree who's a business person. But I found that when I did my uh, business plan for my first gym, um, I had one guy look at me and say, well, you know, my experience is you're probably going to need three times more than what you have listed because things are going to happen that you're not planning for. And so I don't, necessarily disagree some people might say well then you really don't know what you're doing and you should know that it's going to be three times more so you're going to get probably two different sides of of that whole thing so i guess the best thing to say is try to be as prepared as you can know your market know what you're doing but also realize um unexpected things do happen it's just part of life but also now because i one of my one of my dear friends that took his own life Bomb Bonham owned Strong and Shapely here in New Jersey. You know, he had a great business and then kind of just moved to Florida and figured it was going to handle itself and it, it didn't go too well. But then right across the pond from me, you know, you have Bev's place and all you have to do is say Bev's place. Everybody knows what gym it is because I haven't, I've never been to it. I've only heard about it. It's, it's handled very well, just like Mr. Sheru has a gym down in Gold's Gym down here. I think you have to run your business smart, but you, you also have to um, be a personal person. You know, you can't just like for me, I, I run this business. I ran a GNC for almost 30 years. Wow. It's, it was all about being personable and caring about people. Hands on. And, you know, I think the more personal you are, like, I, it's amazing. I've been out 12 years. I, I I got hurt in the military in 2012, and I've been out that long. But I, it's amazing I could still, you know, text, you know, um, several Mr. Olympias and just say, hey, you know, I just want to tell you I love you and I was thinking about you. Just because I'm building relationships over the years. And I think a lot of people, even in social media, they're not social anymore. You know what I mean? So talk to us about building real relationships 
in business. So I, uh, I've had this talk with my, with my uh, co-partner here, Larry, and we've talked about different businesses and people uh, just analyzing, kind of looking at things and um, the food, the food for thought, and this is not a restaurant, uh, even though one guy does own a restaurant uh, is majority of these people that are very successful or in their own towns and um, they're very hands-on. They correct things pretty quick. They know everybody by first name. They go around. They talk to everybody. There's a uh, relationship. They know where everybody's at. If there's a problem, they pretty much take care of it pretty quick. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to do business. I don't think anybody can really shift over to another city before they've probably conquered their own market first and really have gotten everything out of it they can. So going back to your friend who moved from Jersey to uh, Florida and, and, and knowing what you know from you know life and experience, why would you say that it didn't work for him? Because when the mouse is away, the cat's going to play. And when and if you're not there, you know, people are any anytime that tr that till opens, if you're not there, somebody's going to be dipping into it. And you know, if you're not an owner that has a management in place, it's not you're going to fail. Okay. Now, does that apply to all businesses? What about podcasting business? Can a podcast business be run out of anywhere in the country, and could they have clients everywhere? I think I think they can be, but also I realize that the bigger I get, the smaller my circle gets to where I have, I have my three or three to five people where I know that, you know, if, if like you said earlier, you know, you have your friends where they know they can kick you in the ass a little bit and say, listen, you know, you're going, you're going a little bit left to center. So right. for me, I, I'd rather have, you know, four, four shiny quarters than a hundred dirty pennies around me. Say that one more time. I'd rather have four shiny quarters than 100 dirty pennies around me. Okay. Well, the way they're going, we're not going to have any money at all. It's all going to be collector's items. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, like, you know, so talking about podcasting, you know, where, what are you seeing as the future of podcasting? Because, you know, you're, you're deep in it, like I am. What Are you seeing it growing? Is it expanding? Is shrinking what do you think uh pod and you, we never answered this earlier podcast compared to radio uh is uh night and day it's kind of like comparing the radio to movies radio so, movie. now so we got with podcasts now as you know we can add video uh is that robert garcia yeah that's robert yeah hey, robert, robert. good to see you, robert that's the guru right there that's the man. That, that's the warrior strategist. Yes. So I, radio is a great thing, and I love radio. I love using my imagination. But when uh, podcast uh, came to Sarah and myself, um, we saw the opportunity of being able to do better storytelling with video and photos and getting our point across in a short period of time. Now, is it easier because we can do – via StreamYard, via, you know, via video conferences than having to just be, be here in person like you used to have to do with, with going into studios? Um, let me ask Sarah, what do you think? Okay, so I'll answer the question. So basically what I think is um, I, see, I see podcasting in its infant stages still. 
I think that um, radio as we know it, it's going to be there kind of just for entertainment. People will turn it on when they're, when they're driving. Um, but I see podcasts and people can do that with podcasts too, by the way, they can listen to people right now are listening to more podcasts than they are radio. It's just a fact. Uh, I've seen the stats that everybody else is in podcasting has seen it. You have more at your disposal. Um, I think it's easier to do it, um, to stream it the way we're doing it uh, from all over the world. And I think you can meet, I mean, how wonderful it is, is it to say I've interviewed somebody in Italy when the pandemic was going on and we weren't getting things to the news, but we had people come. Uh, that's when we started. We started our podcast exactly in March of 2020. And we looked out our windows and we were the only ones on the streets because we were an essential because we we're in media. And uh, we took off. We went up, our, we increased, I saw the numbers, 1,500% during the pandemic. We were just at the right place at the right time. And I still believe we still are. Now we can't rest on our laurels. What happens is we have to keep finding ways to reinvent what we're doing and, uh, or continue to do what's successful. But I think our goal is to uh, be the source of media that is really in a storytelling where we're not getting too political or we're not getting too much into religion. Because I think that's caused a separation uh, in the nation. And I think the nation needs to heal and say, okay, well, you know, we don't agree on this, but look at all these other things we have in common. We like the same music. We like the same, um, barbecue, you know, we like the same, whatever. And, you know, let's talk about the things we have in common and maybe the, the 1% or 5% of what we don't have in common. That's your belief. That's fine. I respect that, but it's not my belief. But what's up? Be friends and still agree on things that we do agree with. And I love that. And like, I love what you're talking about. Cause I was just thinking about, I had an interview today with a young lady from uh, the UK where she, she actually worked for the Fayed family and she actually did the clothing and for, for, for Dodie and for um, princess died the day she died. Wow. But it's weird that I can, a guy from sitting here in New Jersey can sit and talk to somebody from the UK and and just have a beautiful conversation, like you said, talk about things we have in common instead of the two percent that we don't have in common. Right. We need to get back to and we and I grew up that way. I had friends from all walks of life, um, every religion, every faith, every different thing. And um, another thing is, I grew up around Navy housing, so maybe there was a respect for the military and the families I met. And then we also had an area where there was mobile homes, low income housing and then we had the naval housing and so all of us would congregate together at the park and play sports and then we would go to each other's houses and we never saw a difference i didn't say well this person has less than we do or i have more than they do you know they would invite me to dinner i would invite them to dinner their families you know we all came from different areas of life um and at that point it really didn't make a difference all we knew is we were friends and yeah there was differences and but we we didn't uh, we didn't get involved with all those those little crazy things that people get involved with now. And I love it. So you know now this is also a teaching podcast. So and we have a lot of vetpreneurs. Since you've been in business for a little while, a minute or two, um, what would be your top three piece of advice that if somebody started a business June third, two thousand twenty three, what would be your top three piece of advice? 
First thing is I'd find somebody that's really good at what they do that you're going to, I'd find a mentor. I'd find somebody that is a specialist at what they do and they're really good at it. If it's a, you're going into the gym business, I'd try to find the person that was the most successful person I could in the gym business. And I would try to find everything I could. And nowadays you have more information at your disposal, find everything they did to get to where they're at. And if you personally could find a way to even talk to them, that would be great. That's not always easy to do. Uh, my first boss was Jack Elaine when I was wow. 16. So um, he was somebody that right out of the gate um, gave me a shot and stayed in touch with me up until the time that he passed away. And there's a new book out on him, by the way. And under success, they mentioned me in that page, which I, I, can't, I find it hard to believe because I, I work for the best person. And the fact they even remember or even decided to call me. And now they're making a movie about his life, and Mark Wahlberg is going to play Jacqueline. Yeah, it's his birthday today, so happy birthday, Mark. Happy birthday to Mark. Yeah. So I, I seen your post today. That's that's why I had to say. And my, my wife loves Mark Wahlberg. So he's a very nice. He's, to... a very, he's a very nice person. I've had the opportunity to pick his brain and spend some time with him during a day and a half a day that he gave a, a workshop for some kids. And uh, he's a great guy. He really cares about our um, law enforcement and our military. The second thing that I would do is um, I put a business plan together. I'd even talk to maybe a CPA that had experience in with businesses and, or, or I would talk, try to get as much information online about the importance of the numbers. Uh, a lot of times we look at um, what is going to cost for rent. But we don't look at electricity prices. We don't look at employee prices. Um, we had this dream and this vision, but, uh, when you build something, you also have to have a plan in that business plan, how you're going to close it out, whether it means selling it or whatever you're going to do with it. You have to have an end game. And a lot of people only have the beginning part and they never have the end part. And so you need that. And the third thing is get your financing in order. Find out how much it's going to cost you to do what you're going to do. Because um, that's a very, we talked about earlier how important it is. A lot of these businesses are underfinanced and um, you know, Money is not hard to lose money very quick nowadays. Things are very expensive. And, you know, something you said, you know, a step ago that I think is so important. I had a gentleman on. He used to own part owner of the, the Texas Rangers. And he was an oil, in the oil business. And he said, I will get into a, into a drill unless I have my end figured out before I actually tur- I touch the soil. And yeah. I think a lot of us, when we start our businesses, we don't have an end game. We're just like, yeah, we're going to go at it willy nilly. And then 50 years later, we're still doing the same thing and we can't get out. You know what I mean? Right. So I got to tell, I got to tell you, you know, I, I still do other business things on the side and uh, I'm not prone to making mistakes. Uh, a lot of people make mistakes in business. Um, some of the ones that hurt financially, the most of the ones you never forget. And sometimes those are your best lessons. You have to be resilient. You can say, oh, I'm going to give up. Uh, most people that make it have probably failed more than anybody else, but they're the ones that have continued to learn their craft and they've learned from their mistakes. Whatever it means, whether it's finding new other people to get ideas from or continuing to learn what to, not to do um, the next time, those people don't give up and they continue to find a way to become better each time. It's like bodybuilding. You know, you were good on your last show and, you know, because you've competed. What can I do better this time 
than I did last time. And so, you know, those things are very like I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Mr. Universe, Mr. Universe this year. Yeah, and I got a friend, he's getting he's getting ready to do, I think he's doing the the masters. Um, who's this? Vinny Galanti Vinny Galanti's gonna do the masters. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's from great. Jersey. He's he's a local boy. Vinny's Vinny's got a great body, he's phenomenal. Tell him I said hi. Yep. Yeah, he had, he had like two he had like two shoulders replaced. Oh, I bet. I'm dealing with my I've had a bad shoulder for six months now, though it just won't go away. Yeah. It's, like, so, it's, my, it's, it's like an ex-wife. It shows up when you least expect it. <laughs> um, my last question is, um, how do we find you? How do we find your podcast? And how do we support your mission? Because you have so much going on. What do you have going on? Or should I ask, what don't you have going on? I get criticized a lot for having too much going on. And I have to agree with those people that say that because um, when I see something so clearly, it's hard not to say no to it. Um, but I have to tell you, uh, I would say be realistic with what with what you see and what you can do because you got to have a time frame and timeline on everything you're doing. Um, I'm very abnormal, by the way. I'm not a normal person. I'm just not. And I don't think you are either. We're just not normal people. So we don't think we're not the typical people who are going to go into a college. And I love people that I've gone to college. I went to junior college and I graduated from there, but uh, I don't, I don't get, I've sometimes I would like to go back and get my, my degree just to say, I got it, but I'm too busy doing things. And uh, I don't see the value in it right now, but it doesn't mean I won't go back later. But I think the biggest thing is if I say I'm going to do it, I have to find a way to do it. I've had people say, but how are you going to do this? And I'm like, so when you go hiking and you're looking at a high peak, do you break down how many steps you're going to take to get to the peak? Or you just say, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm at the base and there's a peak and I'm going to find a way to get there. That's the way I look at everything I do. It, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but it's that simple for me. I know it's going to be a very, the harder you get to the top, it's going to become steeper and harder, but I anticipate that. And so, um, I always anticipate it's going to be harder and harder each, each step. It's the same thing with everything you do. So then how do we find you? How do we find your podcast and how do we support your mission and what you have going on? So you can find me on IQ podcast with an S.com also on YouTube channels and uh, Facebook, Instagram, Apple, Spotify, everything under IQ podcast. We need to work on just getting the Brett Davis show out there more kind of like independent. We're going to be working on that more. And I got to say one thing I'm very honored. Uh, I was actually recently um, being honored by the San Diego business journal as one of the top. I have it. I have it written down right there. I read it and I circled it like five times. So I'm a finalist. And just the fact that I made the finalist list, I'm ecstatic. And I'll tell you why Um, I don't like to be labeled. And I'm not saying I'm not honored to be Mr. Universe. I'm not honored to have any other titles or other things, but I don't want to be put in a box and somebody say, well, you're this and you can only do this. I want to be the person that's constantly growing and learning. And the fact that I've been a businessman my whole life to finally get that recognition as a CEO uh, is very humbling uh, because it was something that I always thought I could get, but I never thought I, in my mind, I always doubted if I could do it, but I knew if I put the work in someday it might happen, but, to get it now, I didn't anticipate it. So that's an honor. Well, you know, if you're anything like me, like 
I, I won soldier of the year. I won wow. business of the year. But if you, but I know you're like me that possibly your favorite title is father and husband. Yep. So if you're, and, and, and I know you have that big heart. So I just want to say, thank you so much for coming on. Thank your bride for helping us be able to thank do you. this. And you're absolutely, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, being the, being a be, the better, being a better husband and a better father. Uh, I find myself taking more time away from the things that require me to be away. Uh, I like to be around my family. And um, so anything I can do to spend time with them more than even work. Uh, Cause I see too many people work themselves to death and then they never knew their families. I don't want to be that person. And I want to thank your partner for being there for showing support. And I want to thank him personally. I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for Robert. And I'm so thankful for the time we got to spend together today. It went by so quick. Now we're going to have you yeah. on a podcast. We have to get together and do some stuff. I like the fact you're in New Jersey, which has probably more diners than any other city in the United States. There's nothing like Jersey diner food. We actually went to go to the city. I took my wife to go see Barry Manilow. And we wow. actually got to go eat some amazing New York City, New York style pizza. So uh, being in Jersey is great. I love it. And like the Twin pa and if I go sit on my front porch, I'm actually looking where the Twin Towers once stood. So I that's see it every day, and it reminds me of how short life really is. That's a good point. And uh, when we get to Jersey, which we'll plan on getting to, we will visit with you. And hopefully when you're in San Diego, the same thing goes. Uh, we definitely love to, love to come check it out. But Like I said, brother, thank you so much. So, guys, make sure you check out Brett. He's very affable. He's very easy to get in touch with. Check out the new issue of Shift Magazine. He looks like a superstar on the cover. Make sure amazing. you get it. The article is even that. better. Huh? <laughs> it's amazing that they can make me look so good. Yeah. So, brother, <laughs> I just want to say thank you, and I'm truly humbled and grateful for our friendship over these years. I appreciate it, and I look forward to working with you on some cool things. All right, brother. I love you. Guys, remember. Love you too, man. You guys know that I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. I believe that it's better to be the victor than the victim. So, guys, if you're out there, make that decision to be the victor and not the victim. Guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is butt up. I love you guys, and I appreciate you. But, Brett, give your wife a hug and a kiss for me and the kids. I love you guys. Thank you so much. yippee ki <laughs> All right, brother. Be good. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.